The church at Ephesus is struggling, probably for several years. There is a problem, there is sin that has infiltrated the church. No doubt, many of us brought on by, as Paul would say in the book of Acts, that he was fearful that there would be those from among you, not those from outside of you, but those within the membership that would cause a problem in this local congregation. This church is in trouble. This church is struggling. And I would contend to you as well that its young pastor is simultaneously struggling. And the reason why I believe that Timothy is struggling with timidity is, is because I do not know a faithful pastor who isn't. Especially in the breaking of dawn and the breaking of the divisive tendencies within those in the church. I've told you this several months ago now. This letter is, is one of my favorite letters in all of Scripture because it was written from a pastor to a pastor. And there is a fraternity, if you will. There is a, a brotherhood of pastors um, that those conversations are very different than sitting across a table from one of you. Both are beneficial. Both are beautiful. But as I even had this past week, as I meet once a month with different pastors um, from our city, and as we're sitting in this room trying to encourage and warn each other and talk about situations that are taking place within our church and encourage and pray with one another, that there's a definite understanding and clarity that is found within that room that is not often found between pastor and member. And yet we see in the, the letters, in these epistles, in these letters from the pastor to the pastor, that there is, can be clarity of understanding, that there can be hope given from this older mentor to this younger guy who is in the midst of a great fight, but he is, he is wondering which fight should he fight. And Paul is telling him constantly to continue to fight. Because there has to be, within this young man, a moment where he asks himself in the midst of chaos, is this worth it? Is pastoring worth it? Not is Jesus worth it. Not if loving his wife is worth it. Not if taking care of his kids is worth it. But it is the pastorate, is it worth it, especially in the midst of, again, great problem and divisiveness? I'm sure that that is a statement that is echoed in many a pastor, including this one. See, I believe that Paul is trying to encourage him to not give up, but to stay the course. See, there are wolves that have invaded the church at Ephesus. And the, the issue with, with wolves within a church is it can be hard to tell who they are. 
And even more so, uh, when, when, when the pastors, the shepherds, begin to sniff out and to smell that so-and-so could possibly be a wolf, then that wolf begins to, to swell up even more in grooming and leading other people astray with their words. See, not all false teachers are in a pulpit. Some false teachers are sitting across from you at lunch tables. See, some false teachers are sitting across from you at coffee shops. And they will groom with their teachings people in hopes of, of convincing them of their evil. And that their evil is right. And much of this is taking place inside of this church at Ephesus. See, these wolves, by whatever means necessary, will question the leadership. They will try to ruin their reputation. They will question the care. They will question the motives. They will question the work. They will question the calling. I mean, how many times throughout the New Testament does Paul have to break away from preaching the gospel in his letters to defend his calling over and over and over and over and over again? There's no doubt that sometimes these wolves are pastors. This is in no way talking about this morning in some way that, that, that pastors cannot fall and that, 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 that pastors cannot be false converts because they can. All of those things are true. This is not to excuse the sins of pastors. And yet Paul is, is directing to this young man. He's saying, brother, don't, do not give up. Do not quit. Keep fighting the good fight. Because... He's got to want to See, there is within the church a fight that is not worth fighting. We see this, and it's laid out before us in this passage where, where Paul tells Timothy, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Have nothing to do with these things. Have, have nothing to do with this foolishness, this, this ignorance, this war of words that is taking place that breed quarrels. Now, again, one of the hardest issues within the church is, is how to reconcile how those within the church who claim to love Jesus, who, who claim to have the word of God in their hands, and whose future is extremely bright, can be some of the most quarrelsome, gossipy, slanderous, and divisive people on the planet. Haven't you ever heard this from a non-Christian? Or non-churchgoer? And I want to be about the most people because they're hypocrites. I don't want to be about the church, man. That's the gospel. They're, they just want to be all up in my business, right? They gossip. They're, they're divisive. I mean, think about all of the, the controversies and conflicts and, and church splits that have taken place. Have you ever been a part of a church split? It's hard to find anybody who has been in church long enough that doesn't have some memory or maybe some experience about some sort of church split. Tom Rainer, the former uh, president of, of Lifeway Publishing, he did this Twitter survey uh, quite some time ago, and I can't read all of these. I wish I could. I wish I had time, but I don't. 
And he did this Twitter poll, and he asked people what was the craziest fights that they'd ever experienced with inside of a church. And I want you to listen to some of these. There were 25 total. I'm only going to read three or four. It says two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee. And in one church, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand. In the other church, they simply moved to a stronger blend, and members left the church. An argument on whether or not the church should be allowed deviled eggs at the church meal. <laughs> there was a disagreement in one church over the term pot luck instead of pot blessing. Some members left the church because one church member hid the vacuum cleaner from them. And it resulted in a major fight and split within that church. And the last one, I can't read them all, is a dispute over whether the church should allow people to wear black t-shirts since black is the color of the devil. That's the case, like I don't have any clothes to wear. <laughs> now we, we sit here and we laugh about those things, right? Because they're foolish. They seem foolish. But how many of you have ever been a part of a foolish fight within a church? How many of you have ever gotten your, your, your feathers ruffled because of some issue that, that you thought was really bigger than it should have been? You didn't get your way. You didn't have things happen that, that, that you wanted to happen. Or from your perspective, you thought X, Y, Z was happening. And so therefore, you began to meander and work and walk around hoping that, man, this is this is because this is the way that I see it. It must be true. Again, this is it's foolishness. It's, it's often a witch hunt. See, church, we, we've got to be re awakened to the reality that sin, Satan, and death is, is extremely crafty. See, Satan tempts us into attractive counterfeits to Jesus that cannot sustain their beauty. Do you understand that? Since Satan's death is always going to attract you with things that are attractive to you by nature. And yet they cannot sustain their beauty. They, they are not Jesus. They're not him. It can't be. We've got to be awakened to the reality that this spreads through the church, that this causes problems in the church. See, controversy through the false teacher is spread through the church that Timothy is pastoring and he is lost on how to handle the conflict while remaining true to his calling of preaching the gospel, and to prayer. See, brothers and sisters, if you haven't caught on to this, whether it's an employee or a church member or a church person, some people are going to cause problems no matter where they are at. Environment doesn't mean anything. A change of location for that disgruntled employee that is hoping to find the promised land at your place of work 
It will only be a matter of time before the attractiveness wears off, where the honeymoon phase wears off. Why? Because counterfeit Jesuses cannot keep up with their plastic mentality. They can't. Jesus says that they will know them by their fruits. We, we see that in, in, in the passage, and, and if you go back to one page to 1 Timothy chapter 6, where, where Paul tells this young man, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight. Fight this good fight. Paul reminds Timothy, but specifically, to fight the good fight. Why, brothers and sisters? Why? Because there is always a fight going on in every local church. If you're going to find a church that does not have a fight going on within it, it is called heaven. Every single church, even including mission church, that there is a a fight that is taking place. and, And we need to understand this as church people, but also the world, it's hard for them to get this, but you need to get that there is a real, there is a visible church within our midst here this morning. That's everybody that's here, right? You can look around, you can see people, and they're all at this gathering. That's called the visible church. But you need to get this this morning. The visible church is not always the real church. See, God sees the invisible church. He sees who is a wolf. He sees who is a sheep. He he separates the sheep from the goats. He, He knows the hearts and the motives of everyone in here. So even with us here at Mission Church, there there are people who are genuine converts. There are false converts and there are lost people. And false converts and lost people are the same group of people. But from our perspective, from the horizontal viewpoint, what is everyone kind of looks the same. And so what is often taking place within the church is this war. It is this battle between the visible church and the invisible church. The, 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 the visible church that we can all see, we must understand that it is made up of both wolves and sheep. Made up of both. Sometimes they're in the pulpit. Sometimes they're in the pew. It's a false church. There is a real one. This is true from every gathering of people that you call or we call a church. See, Timothy must be reminded to be a good soldier of Christ Jesus because no soldier gets entangled in a civilian pursuit since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. One of the toughest things on pastors are the expectations that can never be met by that man or those group of men. This week I was talking to a local pastor and he said, we were talking about this very issue and looking through these passages and he said, yeah, what was crazy is that one of my deacons went to visit somebody in a hospital. Isn't that a good thing for a deacon to do? They're a servant of the church. They go visit people in a the hospital. 
And as soon as he walked into the room, the deacon walked into the room to visit one of their church members, she immediately looked up at him in the eyes and said, what are you doing here? I don't want to see you. I want to see the pastor. See, this mentality and this, this is heartache for us in our, in our humanity, that, that there's no way in which we can uh, fulfill all of the passions of every individual that make up the local church. And, and it's, it's difficult for the pastor because we're often being swayed to be caught up into controversies, into foolishness, into gossip, into slander, and the issues that really at their core root have not much, if anything, to do with the gospel. Has very little to do with the praying for God's people. It has very little to do with the preaching of God's. And, and it is tough for the pastors. It is tough for the elders. Why? Because the temptation for every pastor, and every person within the church, is to get involved in these sorts of controversies that breed quarrels. Notice that terminology there. It breeds quarrels. What does it do? It, it, it multiplies. Have you ever been collateral damage in somebody else's problem? Have you ever been brought into really difficult situations that really have nothing to do with you? And yet now you're a player in it. And its core root has, you have no involvement, nothing to do with this. And yet so many times within the pastorate and within the people of God, this is the, the constant maneuvering that is taking place. I mean, how many of you guys have ever been in an argument or a fight with a husband or a wife? And, and, and by the end of it, you don't even remember what the original argument was over. Right? How many in, in watching us people who have been married longer... Um, that you, you see people who are newly married, let's say under five years, and you'll hang out, you'll be around them, and you'll see them bickering back and forth over stuff that is dumb. Right? And then you hop back in the car and you look at each other and say, aren't you so glad that we don't argue over those same dumb things? Alright? Now, this is pre. If you are still arguing over those dumb things, ladies and gentlemen, you got problems. Alright? And Justin would love to counsel you in your marriage. Alright? I do not have time. Alright? But we see this, this is what begins to happen. Do you see how sin, Satan, and death works? It's it's a it's an infected hangnail that doesn't get taken care of. It's it's a cut where there isn't proper medications that leads to infection, and then something has to be cut off. This happens over and over and over and over and over again within the church and within our place because, because we, we, we are constantly being bombarded by our, our very, what is left within us of our sinful nature. Being drawn toward a fight. Being drawn to, toward devastation. I mean, none of us see a wreck without turkey necking that thing. You know, that, that maybe is too southern for some of you. It's the, that's a turkey neck. All right? 
People pull over to see the carnage from wrecks. There is something within us that is drawn. Think about this. Many of us in this room would agree that pornography is a terrible thing to, to succumb to watching. And yet we see death after death after death after death, murder after murder after murder after murder, violent thing after violent thing after violent thing, and many of the other shows that we watch. Because as long as it's not happening to us, it's cool. I mean, we're prone to this sort of thing. We're prone to combat. We're prone to argue. I mean, how many housewives shows do there need to be? Right? We love to see the, the bickering and the, and the arguing. And again, we're often being prone. We're drifting toward this mentality. Another one of my friends here locally was getting up to preach a few weeks ago and he'd been spending time and time and time and time and time and time and time, hours counseling this young man, this person within his church. And this person got upset at his pastor because he didn't like the way that he was handling everything. And so lo and behold, right before he got ready to preach a few weeks ago, he got a text message saying, have fun misleading everyone this morning. Foolishness. Controversy. Breeding things. It's extremely dangerous. See, we are in our culture, in our church, our hearts' affections are constantly being wooed to engage in fights that are not the good fight. One of the reasons why I, uh, I left Facebook was because of this very thing. I began to, to notice and became increasingly aware of, of people um, claiming to be Christians and yet posting about certain matters, whether they're political or social or church or involving the global church. And I found myself getting at my computer, extremely angry with those people. I had nothing to do with the controversy. I may not even know the people that they're talking about. I get the same feeling every time somebody says that Michael, you know, that Michael Jordan isn't the greatest of all time. And I'm thinking, as I'm sitting here, where I should be engaging in prayer, where I should be engaging in preparation, I found myself constantly drifting back to my phone or drifting back to a Facebook, having a conversation, yelling, screaming, maybe using some other words internally with my computer screen because I would never post it. My arguments. Being led. Being drifted. We are. We're being groomed to engage, engage in a battle that belongs to the Lord. And yet we love to link up a new thing. Talk about this or talk about that. Or, or maybe you don't even engage, but do you ever find yourself drifting back to those social media sites just to see the comments and people engaging it? I want you to know, brothers and sisters, and we need to speak this into each other and remind each other, that is the deception of the enemy to distract you away from his word, 
you're going and I am going to claim that we did not have time to pray, that we did not have time to know the word, that we did not have time to evangelize, that we, we did not have to, time to, to share with people, and yet we've engaged in, in hours of flipping through our phones to, to watch a battle that has nothing to do with us. It's crazy when you grieve leaving social media. You know what that it proved to me? That it was a God. And I only really follow church people. So dangerous for us. That our affections are, are constantly being thwarted and just beat up upon and, and lured toward foolishness, toward bickering, toward debating. See, I found myself wasting mental and physical energy that could have been used elsewhere. See, false teaching and, and gossip and slander. Have you ever met a person that's just overtly cynical? You know what we call those people? Lonely. Find these people that are just, man, they know the, the right thing on everything. They're, they're jacks of all trades. They're, they're masters of none. And yet, man, they, they've got this all put together. May, may I never be one of those people. May, may you never be one of those, those people that is just known as, as always playing on the negative, as always being cynical, that, that all of these distractions are in, in that mindset, again, tear us away from a pursuit of Jesus, His Word, and His mission. There were people that were cynical of Jesus. And he was perfect. I want to give you a point of application here in the middle of the sermon. This is something that Laura and I use in our home. You can use this with each other. You can use this as a single. You can use this with your kids. It's all the time that Laura and I, when we find ourselves being drifting and and getting worrisome or having anxiety or anger or frustrated, and however you want to church it up, toward things that don't really involve us or they shouldn't be involving us, is that we look at each other and we say, Don't pick it up. Don't pick that up. It wants you to pick it up. It wants you to pick it up. And yet the, the Lord is telling us, he's, he's reminding us, he's, he's, telling, he's telling, Paul is telling Timothy, hey, don't, don't pick up things that, that you don't need to pick up. Trouble is coming, right? There's, there's the right picking of the battles, if you will. And, and there are certain things that we don't need to be engaging in. And, and let me tell you that, that some people are always just looking for a fight, they're constantly gauging. I don't know if it's a it's a lack of affections for Jesus or a lack of pursuit of Him or or if it's just resting within them. But they're always 
looking for a fight. And if you look at their, their record, we like to talk about people's records a lot in our political scheme. And if you, if you look at people's record, if it is marred over and over and over and over with relational turmoil, then there is something deeply broken in that heart. Some people are just always looking for a fight. Some people are simply looking for a reaction by you in order to wield your response as a weapon against you. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Be awakened to that mentality. See, they simply want you to play at their level because they're incapable of pursuing a higher one. This is so difficult. So difficult. But we see within this passage, not only that there's this conflict and, and Paul warning Timothy have nothing to do with foolish or ignorant controversies. You know that they, they breed quarrels. But then in 24, he says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but have uh, be, be kind, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth, and, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I mean, the conflict, listen to this, that there are people within the congregation that are in the snare of the devil and are captured by him to do his will. Isn't that scary? Or may it not be me. See, the Lord's servant is not to be quarrelsome, but kind. In Galatians, this not only is to be placed upon the pastor as the context ensues here, but, but also we see that from Galatians, what is one of the fruit of the Spirit? It is kindness. It's kindness. So those whom the Spirit indwells will be marked by kindness. Will it be perfect kindness? No. But you know what it should be? Consistent. Man, are you, are you marked? Are the pastors, are they, they marked by kindness? Are you marked by kindness? I heard Dr. Russell Moore say one time that kindness is, is not a break from fighting, but rather how, excuse me, let me start over. Kindness is not a break from fighting, but rather is how you fight. See, when you're in a confrontation, and I don't care if it's in your home or, or where you work or in the church, see, the, the enemy wants us to lose our minds. The enemy wants, sin, Satan, and death wants us to lose our minds. They, they want us to respond the way in which we are being responded to. And yet the scripture tells us that we are to be kind and not quarrelsome. And is your life marked by a quarrelsome mentality? Argumentative, always got to be right. Or, again, imperfectly, but consistent 
Is it marked by kindness? Who are your friends? Are they kind people? Who are you around? Are you being sharpened in kindness? Another thing that we see here, because Paul is, again, he's laying out before this young, he's like, man, don't, don't fight like the ones who are, are fighting in your church. Do not fight with them um, like they want you to. So you need to not be quarrelsome but kind. You need to be able to teach, which we've covered that. It's what I'm, I'm doing, attempting to do right now. You need to be patiently enduring evil. And number four, you need to correct your opponents with gentleness. Now, now notice here, Paul isn't saying that you're not going to have conflict. Paul isn't telling this young pastor to, to just go hide his head in the sand. You know, Paul, Paul is saying man, there, there is conflict, and, and conflict is, is coming, but you need to be able to correct your opponents with gentleness. If you take all of those things, those four things, not quarrelsome but kind, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, corrects his opponents with gentleness, the way that I, I kind of place all of those things together is that, that Paul is saying confront sin Without sin. Anybody really good at that in here? How do we confront sin without sinning? Especially when we're being wooed to respond in sin. Most of our marriages, when there's a confrontation, one of you is a yeller and screamer. And then the other one is shuts down. Right? When there's an argument, there's typically one that has a raised voice, and it, it can be male or female. And there's one that will, will often completely shut down. And what's interesting about that is if you sit down and do some, some marriage work with people, is, is the person who's the yeller and the screamer often will just continue to escalate as this person continues to diminish in hopes of just getting some sort of reaction. I just need you to respond, even if it's a cuss word. At least you said something. Because I can't handle you sitting there like I don't exist in silence with the silent treatment. And, and we see this this sort of mentality of, of, of confronting of sin and, and yet not being engaged in sin because the mentality is, is even when you're right, you can be wrong in how you respond. Hey, been gone for a while. Confession to make. I am not a perfect person. I have flesh and bones. I have opinions that aren't in the scripture. And, and I'm not saying that they go against the scripture. I'm just saying that sometimes the scripture doesn't speak into things as clearly as we would like it to. Right? And I get tired. Get, ex get exhausted. I mean, when I'm hungry and sleepy, like I'm a terrible person to be around. Mm -hmm. 
But what's interesting in, in my life, and, and I have felt miserably at this, and I've also been a recipient of this, is that, that people have believed, and, and maybe I have, but that I've done wrong. And maybe it's simple, because I, I want you to know, I do those things. Sometimes my responses, right or wrong, can be wrong. And yet what should be happening in our marriages, in our, in our homes, in our churches, is that if there is the belief that there is sin taking place in someone's life, that, that you act like a Christian toward that problem. But you know what our tendency is? Is to act like a sinner. So the very thing, man, I can't believe so-and-so did that. That's very unchristlike. That's very much unpastoral. Or, or I can't believe Deacon so-and-so did this. Or Sister Margaret, I can't believe that she did that. I can't believe this. All, all of that sort of conflict that, that we're being led and, and drawn into, that, that we think, man, this is unchristlike behavior, and yet our response is unchristlike behavior. Do we see the problem? We have just read controversy. Instead of being like Matthew 18 would tell us in confronting that brother or sister in sin who is a witness. With gentleness. I can't tell you how many times I've bumped. I can't tell you how many times this week in preparation that I thought back, especially early on in my ministry when I had a lot more fire. My kids weren't as old. I had a lot more energy. And I didn't know things that I shouldn't do as a pastor and things I shouldn't say as a pastor of how many times that, thinking back this week that I regret and have sinned against brothers and sisters. I've been reminded over this past year as I wrote to you guys this about my brokenness and limitations as a husband and father and friend and pastor. And yet I found great security in knowing that Jesus is the true and better husband, pastor, father, friend. My limitations are not wasted flaws, but rather reminders that I am not him and I am desperately in need of him. Now I'm going to be really honest. This morning I do not know how to reconcile a statement like Paul saying, be gentle. About three sentences after he just called somebody out by name. I don't understand. I don't know how to reconcile yet as, as one of your pastors. A mentality of being careful with what we say. And a Jesus looking at a group of people and and saying, you make them twice the sons of hell that you are. Gentle Jesus, make him mild. Or, or that same Jesus who can take a kid into his lap because the disciples were trying to shoot him. Right? And a few weeks later, is running out church people with a will. 
don't know how to reconcile those things. I don't believe that they contradict, obviously. It's so tough. Do you get that tension? How do we confront, but but without sin? How do we how do we love? How do we how do we see these things taking place? Why? Because our ultimate goal is is not to win the argument. Our our ultimate goal, brothers and sisters, if you are a follower of Jesus in this place, the goal isn't to to ultimately be right, but rather the goal, as this passage tells us, is is to love those people, is to care for those people, is to be kind toward those people. It doesn't mean that you run from confronting them. But the most loving thing that you can do is confront them, but do so without sin. Confront without sin. Kind. Why? What's the heartbeat? What's the hope? Verse 25, correcting the opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Brothers and sisters, I don't know anything I don't know any greater way to care for you, to encourage you, to love you, than to tell you to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus. My family has, let's just say that the Lord has expanded my territory this year as we have have in lovingly enjoyed much of the the mill wagons that have knocked on our door to bring us food. That is a great grace to each other. We appreciate that even as being a part of that that mill train. Do you know what happens a few hours after I eat that meal? I get hungry again. You know, I can get better from being sick. Do you know what's going to happen down the road? I'm going to get sick again. See, brothers and sisters, the only thing that's going to last is relationship with Jesus. And caring for people is saying, brother, sister, do not do that. You're going wayward. You're you're drifting from from Christ-centeredness. You're you're drifting from the gospel. Come back. This This is not about me being right. This is not about me being perfect in all the things that I do are right, but but ultimately there is something that is eternal and it it is not food and beverage as much as it is a relationship with Jesus and the heartbeat isn't simply to become someone's badge or tally that this is another argument that I have won, but rather in hopes and prayer we're sharing with people, we're loving with people, but, but confronting without sin is in hopes that they will be removed from the snare of the devil, come back maybe for the first time into the fold of God because this is what we know. Once in the fold, always in the fold. Once a sheep, 
always a sheep. You know, I'm far worse than any of you think about me. Jesus has never loved me. I don't know if there's a better man that I know than Alan Gordon. But he's much worse than any of us know. He is much worse. Diane, she knows. But we don't know. We're we need to sip some, some humble juice this morning. We are all far much worse than any of us. And for those of us who are in Christ, those who have been granted the gift of faith, those who have been granted the gift of repentance, you, brother and sister, have never been loved in He has confronted you over and over and over again. Brothers and sisters, for me, the hope this week is that the realization that God calls us all to an expectation and a life that you and I alone can never achieve. And that everything that is expected is fulfilled in Jesus. See, brothers and sisters, the, the better, the better servant, the Lord's servant, the better servant that all of us need is this: is a Jesus. You know, Jesus, the, the servant who said, Not my will, but your will be done. See, Jesus doesn't fight with that mentality. Like I and you do. We need a, a Jesus who, who can, is a servant so much he can say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lonely in heart and you will find rest for your soul. A Jesus, the Lord's servant who, whose motives are always pure. Jesus, the Lord's servant, who, who looks at the adulterous woman and says, I do not condemn you. Jesus, the, the Lord's servant, who endures a flogging of evil men. Jesus, the Lord's servant, who is the good shepherd, who lays down his life solely for the sheep. For his bride. This is the Jesus that we need. This is the Lord's servant that we need. Jesus is the pastor that you and I all need. In every one of our membership classes, we sit across the table from people and we tell them, hey, if you're disappointed with your last church, just come here because we'll soonly disappoint you as well. Why? Because there's a fight in every church. And on the flip side of that, 
church people disappoint their pastors too. So when we both realize we just disappoint each other, now let's gospel each other into Christ's likeness. So you don't need a, a, a you don't need a true and better Eric. You don't need a true and better Justin or a true and better Todd. No, no brothers and sisters, we need a true and better Jesus. We, we need a true and better Savior, and his name is Jesus. We, apart from Christ, are always going to be disappointed with the things that are happening in our lives and happening in this world. And yet, Jesus has come to do all of those things. He's come to save. He has come to redeem. He has, he has come, and he, and, and, at, at being at the right hand of the Father, like he never grows tired of pursuing after your heart. And yet there's not an earthly person that can do that. But we have hope and security in knowing what? That there is a God who never sleeps. He never takes a break from watching after His people. He never takes a vacation from pursuing His people. He, he never takes a, a time for Himself. Jesus never needs a sabbatical. Jesus never gets burned out. He's in constant pursuit of you. From the throne room of God, He is pleading for you, pursuing you. That's the Lord's servant we need. Mission, may we fight the temptation to be caught up in foolish controversies that rob our joy and distract us from the mission. We must practice humility, kindness, and patience as we desire to be winsome of others in hope that Jesus would grant many repentance. You join me on the group. Put down your fist for foolish ones. Because the Lord's servant, Jesus, has awakened us to a newness of life. That we do not have to live life the way that the world is living. We don't have to be a part of a family the way that the world is doing family. But rather, there's a true and better mission. And it's God's mission. And I want us to prayerfully be a part of that more than anything.